episode 20, unlock myofascial adhesions, mechanoreceptor reset via hawk grips, instrument-assisted soft tissue manipulation. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Frank Osborne and Dr. Mark Butler's perspective. For doctors who want a thriving practice and abundant home life, listen as your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, goes behind the curtain and interviews doctors and guests about real-world triumph, struggles, practical tips, and entertainment on this episode of A Doctor's Perspective. Today on the show, we have something special today. We got two guests, never done it before. I think it turned out quite good. First, we have Frank Osborne, the creator of Hawk Grips Instrument Assisted Soft Tissue Manipulation. He talks about his ski accident and how that created the catalyst for these instruments. And the big specialty there is they've got a real good grip pattern so you don't slip out your hands. They are in major places like the Mayo Clinic, the Yankees, Walter Reed, even the White House uses these instruments. We go into a new product that he has. And we also talk to Dr. Mark Butler, physical therapist, because he knows about the actual science behind it, what's going on. Now, he's a board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist, McKinsey certified. He's got 25 years experience. He teaches all the time, over 200 weekend courses, neuromobilization, exam and treatment of the shoulder, cervical spine, lumbar spine, taping, radiology. Uh, he's presented at more than 25 national and regional conferences. He's been married for 30 years. He spent two years in Korea, and he's actually fluent in that. Maybe I should uh, focus on Chinese a little bit more because it can be done. Um, he authored a shoulder chapter in the textbook, Fundamentals of Hand Therapy, Clinical Reasoning and Treatment Guidelines for Common Diagnosis of the Hand and Upper Extremity. He's been published in peer and non-peer reviewed professional journals. Uh, his doctor of physical therapy was actually done at Regis University in Denver, my old stomping grounds. He has received the prestigious James Tucker Excellence in Clinical Practice and Teaching Award by the New Jersey chapter of the American Physical Therapy Association. And he currently manages the Medford Novacare office. As you can see, He's well qualified to speak on the subject. Definitely you want to check out the show notes at doctorsperspective.net slash 20 because they got a lot of good information for the links and some of the basic concepts of what we talked about, like the term mechanotransduction. And we also discuss uh, courses and favorite books, podcasts, you know, all the regular things. So stay tuned. At the end of the show, we will have a special discount code as well. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. This is our first time. We're going to have two guests on at the exact same time. We've got the founder, the president, Frank Osborne, and the doctor, physical therapist, clinical trainer, Mark Butler, and their company is called Hawk Grips. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. For all the audience, it's instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization. They've got about nine or 10 tools. That's correct. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, actually, about 10 or 11, we're coming out with a couple new handlebars in the next month or two. Okay. And for most of you guys, if you're a physical therapist, if you're a chiropractor, maybe even a massage therapist, you've seen these tools before. They're, they're stainless steel. And I think this company has a unique advantage because they have, and I'm going to have you guys talk about it, of course, but because they have these cross grips on the tools, so they're not so slippery, correct? Exactly. When uh, One of the main benefits of, of our instruments are, you know, um, you're going to be using a, a soft tissue emollient, kind of like a cocoa butter on the on the patient's skin. And it just makes all the uh, the, the various tools or instruments slippery. And um, what kind of sets us apart is we did we do have the cross hatched gripping, um, just so it's much more ergonomical. The whole point is, 
not only does it work well for the patients, but you know, it's supposed to save the clinician's hands. And, you know, if you're squeezing so tightly onto the, uh, the instruments, then, then, you know, you're kind of defeating the purpose in the first place. So it's a nice advantage that we have over all the other competitors. And I can attest to that, man, that you're uh, fanning or whatever, and it slips out your hand or you, you, your fingers get all stiff from slipperiness. So uh, Russ, well, I like, I like that idea. Uh, this is Frank. He's the owner because you're not a doctor. So how did you come up with uh, designing these tools and wanting to get into this, this profession? Sure. Thank you. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a long answer, but um, basically what happened was right out of college back in 1997, if you can believe that now, um, I was, <laughs> I was in a bad skiing accident up in the, uh, the Pocono mountains in Pennsylvania. I, I wiped out and uh, went off the mountain and uh, I don't remember too much about it, but um, what happened was I broke my neck in a couple places, C4, C5. I broke my back at T6, the burst fracture, comminutive fractures in my left wrist and arm, a lot of soft tissue uh, tears. So, um, you know, I was I was actually medevac to a hospital in, in Pennsylvania. And so I survived and, I, you know, I wasn't paralyzed. So relatively for the for the injuries, I, I came across, you know, OK. But what happened was, um, you know, after all the surgeries and, and some of the rehab, I was I still felt very restricted. I did lots and lots of physical therapy, uh, went to a lot of chiropractors, did a lot of alternative stuff, kind of like the, um, the acupuncture, the gua sha, the rolfing, massage, um, you know, and everything helped a little bit, but I never really found that, you know, that, that answer that I was looking for to kind of, uh, again, help with those restrictions. So from 1997 until about 2008, I, I kind of tell people just so, again, because I'm not clinical, I can't explain things, you know, like you and Mark can. I'm sure you see patients all the time that have pain, but it's, it's kind of hard to describe. For about 11 years, I, I, I tell people that I would park my car away from all the other cars in order so I could just drive straight out, you know, if I was in a parking lot, because I was not able to turn my my head, literally swivel it and look behind me and I wasn't able to turn my back. So I saw a story actually on the news for one of our, our main competitors, actually, it's called Graston Technique. You know, I think a lady had uh, some elbow issues. She had surgery. She had done a lot of different uh, modalities. And it wasn't until she was treated with these Graston instruments. And again, I was just a guy watching the news. Um, she was just r raving about how effective it was. So um, I thought, hey, why not try this place? Why not try this technique since I've tried so many other things? So, you know, I went I went to the, uh, the physical therapy uh, clinic. It's called Dresher Physical Therapy. It's owned by a guy named Matt Seabrook, good friend of mine now. You know, we went over my history. I gave him my insurance card and, you know, he was kind of... Uh, amazed that, you know, I, I was, I was walking and I looked relatively healthy. Um, and he said, you know, where should we even start? And I said, well, why don't we start on my neck? So he pulled out, you know, these weird metal instruments. I almost sound like a sales rep for uh, our competitors. He started working on my neck. It was, it was very intense. I don't know if you guys have ever had rolfing. That's probably the closest I could say, because again, it was very intense, but it was still different. Mm -hmm. You know, after probably 30 seconds, he told me to lower my head and raise it. So he was using the instruments while I was moving my head up and down. And then he told me to uh, slowly turn my head to the right and then to the left and to the right and to the left. And probably the third or fourth time he told me to turn my head to the left, I kept turning and turning and turning until I literally looked over my shoulder for the first time in about 11 years. And I was just like mesmerized and said, wow, this is this is unbelievable. Why doesn't every physical therapist in the world do this? Again, I, I was a patient. Exactly. I don't. And that's kind of, you know, at least how I started. Um, I was aware of the modality. And then obviously I, I reached out to the company. I would have been a big fan or advocate. Things kind of just went downhill, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> you know, between myself and the grass and people at that point. But literally up until that point, I was really just amazed at, at, at the tools and the technique and 
and the um, the range of motion that I was able to get literally in about two minutes over the past 11 years. Absolutely. How long have y'all been open for? You know, so Mark actually, Mark doesn't work at Hawkrips. He he worked for uh, Select Medical Novacare. Um, he's he's okay. an instructor for us, and he helped me um, early on because again, once we developed an education program, Mark has the expertise that that I didn't do. So our first sale. Again, this was a one-person company. I was literally doing everything from driving to the UPS store to, you know, de- dealing with the uh, the engineers and the metal polishers and really trying to figure everything out. So my first sale was at the end of uh, 2012. You know, what's that? Five years, I guess. We've we've been in business yeah. for. It, it took me about two years of honestly R and D and trying to to figure out what I was doing because I again I was clueless. I literally Googled you know, how to manufacture, how to start a company, things like that. So uh, we've definitely grown, you know, nicely in the last couple of years, but it's really been, um, I, I guess, about five years I've been in business. Now, I heard with a lot of entrepreneurs that when you start out by yourself, you try to do everything and then eventually you just can't and you have to hire somebody and then you realize, oh my gosh, that was the best decision I ever made. How did you do that? Was that a, was that a hard process to get through uh, what do you, what do you call it? Like the sales process and distribution and all that kind of stuff? Like when did you determine like, I need to hire more people? How did that, how'd that play out? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's an excellent question. And it's kind of a, our company's a little bit unique in the sense that a, a good friend of mine and a good friend of Mark, his name is Sean McNeil. He was my roommate in college and you know, we're good friends and we lived about five minutes away from each other. I needed someone to kind of help me. And he, he actually worked from his house. So he kind of was a, I guess, an unpaid employee of mine for about six months just because, you know, again, I was trying to figure everything out. So Sean has been a very integral part of the uh, the evolution of the company. It's hard to, to describe again, because I never really had employees before. And if you have a great employee, you know, you want to do everything you possibly can to keep him. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually learned something from uh, a guy that works with um, with Mark Butler at, at NovaCare. His name is Alan Evans. And he uh, he gave me some good advice a couple of years ago when I was just talking to him about some, some employees that, you know, were giving us a hard time. And he basically said, you know, you want to hire slowly and fire quickly. And I, and I could not agree more with him. If you, if you find employees that, you know, you're, you're starting to talk about a little bit more, they're really just starting to um, be a negative. Um, you really have to, you know, you want to see, you want to work with them and see, you know, if they can turn it around. But if things aren't working, you really, it's better to, to just cut them loose and, and get someone else in there that will be a better fit. Do you have like a, a 60 day probation period, certain benchmarks that you're looking for as far as like sales or, you know, we're, again, we're, we're, we're definitely evolving um, because we have a, we have a great work environment. It is relatively relaxed. You know, we, we give our employees a lot of uh, latitude again, because if they're good, we want to, we want to keep them happy. And if you give some employees some flexibility, you know, that's, that, you know, that, that, that's a good thing. Uh, it earns some loyalty. But what we've also found too is, you know, there is a reason to have an HR department and why to have an employee handbook and why to make sure if they aren't doing something that they should have done, you know, unfortunately you have to document it because, you know, if you don't, it could come back to bite you in the butt. So it's a, it's something, it's a balance, I guess you want to have to say, because again, you want to have a good work environment, but at the same point you have to protect yourself. It's, I don't say it's been a struggle, but I did not get in biz, into business. I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I love the, the, the figuring it out, the process, the excitement, things like that. The day-to-day part of running a business, that doesn't excite me, but that's something that you have to be aware of, as, as you know, and as Mark knows as well. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious. You mentioned that you're a competitor. I've taken some of their seminars 
kind of been in China, so I've been taking different kind of seminars lately. But walk us through, how did you go through the process of developing a coursework? Because I'm guessing everything's CE so that doctors can take the classes and, and get their hours for the, their state and be allowed to practice. Was that a hard process? Did you have to, how did you go about figuring out how to teach this process? The, yeah, the, the it's history? a certification it, program. Sorry. Now, you know what? When, when I started the company, I literally, I didn't realize the value of the education. I was, I was wrong completely. All I mm -hmm. wanted to do was make the best instruments, tools, whatever you want to call them on the market. Um, basically make them better than, than Graston, which was kind of the gold, okay. Here's which an was basically the gold standard, you know, probably for about 15 years or so. So we put together an instructional video and a manual, uh, a buddy of mine is a chiropractor who had been to a bunch of the different, uh, technique courses from our competitors. You know, I, I literally, I would just tell people, Hey, if you're interested, just go, just go to uh, a Graston course and then just buy our instruments. Um, but then what happened was the biggest rehab company in the world that, that Mark actually works with, and he's an educator. He's one of the top educators for them. They were spending a ton of money to send their clinicians to the, the Graston and the ASTEM courses. And mm -hmm knowing that they had their own education department, which is actually run by that fellow Alan Evans I told you about, you know, I, I explained to them that, you know, rather than you guys spend so much money sending these people to these different certification courses, I said, you guys can develop your own courses. You can tailor it to the needs of your physical therapists, your athletic trainers, your OTs, the different people that work there. And another benefit is, you know, when you go to the different competitors and even to some of our courses, you may be getting taught by a chiropractor, an athletic trainer, a physical therapist. You know, we have excellent instructors, but you know, like any any anything else, some of our instructors are, are better than others. And I told, I basically said to Alan, you know, you can pick the instructors because you know, you know, you, the people that that work for you. Uh, you can you can decide which ones you want to teach this modality, and you guys can actually develop your own curriculum so that it's consistent across the thousands of. Um, clinicians that work for NovaCare. That's kind of how I was introduced to Mark because I really don't know. I'm not a clinical guy. Mark has developed, you know, probably for 20, 30 years, education courses. So Mark actually is the one who developed, not even for Hulk Grips, it was for Select Medical to teach their own accredited instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization. And that's kind of how Mark ah. and I got to know each other. Now, after that happened and we learned a little bit and, and we really understood the benefits and how you can actually learn. There is a lot more to it than rubbing a piece of metal across the arm or the back. Again, I'll be the first person to admit that I did not appreciate some of the techniques that are involved. And it's kind of like a golf club or a tennis. You could have, you know, Rafael Nadal, who's an unbelievable tennis player. But if he's using a tennis racket from the 1880s, you know, he's not maximizing his potential. Um, so, you know, you need the, the instruments, but you also need to understand. And, and they kind of go hand in hand. Fortunately, we, we've built a lot of good relationships. And even with some of the former instructors for Graston, who kind of were the pioneers, been teaching this for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. We have a handful of former Graston technique instructors that came to us because they were interested in, in teaching for us as well. So... We've done, we do more courses than any of our competitors now. We've done courses at the White House, Walter Reed with the Delta Force, with the Yankees, the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, a couple of them, Johns Hopkins. They see so much value in it that six months later, they'll do another course 
I don't want to talk too, too long, but one of the, um, the other differences between us and our competitors are we don't tell the director of rehab at the Cleveland Clinic, you have to go through our program. You have to do this. Your clinicians have to do this. You know, they're busy. They have to deal with insurance companies. They have to deal with referring doctors. They have to deal with patients. So the easier that we are to work with them, you know, they see value in that versus giving them certain kind of restrictions because, you know, when it comes down to it, yeah, you know, we're a manufacturer, we're, we're salespeople, we have education, but the, the, the easier we are to work with and the less aggravation, you know, that we can give to our, our customers who, you know, a lot of them are good friends of ours, the more value that they see in us. And I think that's just some, another thing that separates us from, you know, the competitors out there. When I know for myself personally, why would you want to waste your thumbs when you can just spend a few extra minutes, I mean, less time actually, using some tools, it works. And what's, I don't know if you guys are always saying use clothes, but in, in the, to me, like in the real world, I would go through the clothes, they would still get the same results. You just kind of peek, okay, I got some petechiae, it's about time to quit, let's move on to the next spot. And then a couple years later, I've heard they're, they're now saying, it's okay, you can kind of go through clothes sometimes. And I was like, well, I think that's because we were doing it anyway, and it was still getting great results. You just can't strip everybody down versus time and desire. But uh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? And and I think Mark can speak better to this. But instrument assisted, it works. It's still, I think, up for debate exactly how it works or why it works. There really isn't too much. I mean, there's lots of uh, case studies, and there's some studies on rat tendons. And again, Mark Mark's better at this than I am. But a lot of it, we are still figuring it out. And if someone says at least my opinion, if someone says, this is how you have to do it and you cannot do this and it works X, Y, and Z, I think, I think they're foolish actually, because again, I, I don't know. Again, I think that's a better question for Mark, but it, and it doesn't work for every condition. It doesn't maybe work for every patient, but you know, it, it's miraculous. It's, it's amazing the effects that it had on me, but also for a lot of the other patients that are out there. Otherwise it wouldn't, it wouldn't be so popular if it didn't work. Well, I'll say this. I've, I've had and seen the gua sha here, and sometimes they'll use like a buffalo horn, and I can get down with that. That's all right. But I've seen on some videos, they're using like a Campbell soup edge. And that is not what you should use. I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, oh, there is no way. That is not good for anybody. Well, that's that's just going to cause some damage. Here's another Scary. thing, too, and this gets into kind of healthcare in general. Physical therapists, you know, I think most of them now, they have to become a, a DPT, a doctor of physical therapy. And one of the things that I say, again, because we take a lot of pride at Hawk Reps in everything that we do. Now that patients, they're not paying $5 copays. You know, a lot of times patients are paying $30, $40, $50 copays. Oh, yeah. And if you're a doctor... And you're using, you know, the back of a, a soup can, or if you're using a uh, a two dollar buffalo horn, you know, and, and a patient sees that, you know, maybe you're driving a, a really nice car, they say, why are you using, you know, a, a two dollar piece of metal on me? Is that really what a doctor should be doing? So there's that part as well. There's the branding. It's you know, you know, pa patients are they're always judging. They're judging. Is this a nice clinic? Do they have modern equipment? Is the receptionist nice? Do they do they cut the lawn? Things are getting a lot more competitive out there. You know, chiropractors, physical therapists, massage envy, things like that. And you know, I think that's one thing. I think chiropractors generally are a little bit better, at least in the United States, about not only about marketing themselves because it is competitive out there. And, you know, when they see Hawk Rips, we, we supply them with a lot of marketing materials, but when they can go to their patients and say the, the, the head athletic trainer for the New York Yankees uses Hawk Rips, you know, the physical therapist for the White House uses Hawk Rips, the top hospitals in the world use Hawk Rips. 
Well, then I think that sometimes can reassure patients that, hey, you know what? You know, my physical therapist or my chiropractor, they're using the best out there. They're not they're not trying to cut corners and save a couple bucks. So that's just another thing I try and get across to 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 our customers is, hey, you're using the best product out there. You know, why don't you brag about it a little bit? Well, I got two two more questions for you, and then we'll maybe we'll switch over. Then sure. I answer. <laughs> Why do you have so many handlebar styles? And then, what type of marketing are you doing? What are you finding that's pretty successful? Sure, there's a lot. Now, of, now that um, could be a mark question too. Though. No, no, it's, it's, that's okay. And one of the reasons that we have so many instruments, and people say, well, you know, we did we did come out with a multi-purpose tool, um, and the main reason we did that, number one, for traveling you know, maybe an athletic trainer and they don't want to log, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 tools with them. And, and I completely understand. So, you know, so we do have an, a multi-tool instrument that's very versatile. But when you think about it, again, I, I like the analogy of a golf club. When Tiger Woods or, you know, Phil Mickelson, they're going golfing. Could they get away with one club and, you know, play 18 holes? Of course they could. But would they be maximizing it? Would they be playing to the best of their ability? Of course not. I think the analogy is, is appropriate with, with Hulk grips because, again, if you think about it, we're using our instruments at children's hospitals. We're using them with the Green Bay Packers. You know, you know, So you could be looking at a 30-pound person or a 350-pound person, um, mm-hmm. sumo wrestlers, bariatric patients, ballet dancers. People come in all shapes and sizes. And not only people in general, but if you're working between someone's toes or on their ankle or on their back or their shoulders, at least I feel that you want to get the, the most precise treatment out there. Um, right. So the square they, footage, the square inches of, the, of what you have to cover. Exactly. You want to be efficient. Okay. You know, and again, Mark, Mark can speak to that a little bit better than I can, but we don't force people to buy all of our instruments. If you want to buy one, one tool, one instrument, Go ahead and buy it. If you find, if you're a hand therapist, you may not need a big handlebar because you're not dealing with hamstrings or parts of the back. So that's why another reason that we have, you know, we have different um, sets. We have large sets. We have small sets. You can customize your set because again, as much as we'd like to sell as many instruments as possible, we we want people to use them. We w- we don't want them, you know, collecting dust. So basically, buy what you want. You know, and, and if you feel you need another one or you, you have more of a budget, you know, then you pick up a, an extra handlebar. But again, we don't we don't force people as far as marketing. We don't spend a lot of money on marketing. What we do is we really take we take great care of our customers. And again, it's a point of pride for me. But our customers are our best salespeople because it's really word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Mark has introduced me to probably dozens of people throughout the country. And you multiply that by all the different advocates that we have. Again, because a lot of people, if you go on the website, you don't appreciate the differences because, again, they just see a, a, a piece of metal. You don't really appreciate the craftsmanship. You don't appreciate, you know, how these are hand polished, how we have, yeah, we check the angles. We check literally every bevel that comes out of there. But again, yeah, I have some credibility, but customers that are using our instruments every day, they have the credibility because they're talking to their colleagues. And um, again, that's something that, hey, if we take care of our customers, then they're going to take care of us. And that's really through word of mouth. So yeah, we'll do some advertising. We, we just hired a new um, media uh, content coordinator you know, to get our story out a little bit better. But um, I'm a big fan of, again, just take good care of your customers. And then the word of mouth thing, as much as the internet's exploded, and obviously we're talking to you on a podcast through China, good old fashioned word of mouth is kind of you know what, what I'm focused on. Yeah, I mean, I saw your site. I saw the tools. They looked really impressive as far as, as 
what you're offering. And I am curious, this might be your question because you actually designed them. How did you figure out like the bevel part, like the actual angle, trial and error or like best practices? There's research studies out there or what? Yeah, I'm so just curious. Basically what happened was uh, I, I made the same mistake pretty much everyone that's tried to um, come come after Graston. At first, I was just focused on grip because I would see people using the grass tools and they were slipping out of their hands. Um, so when I decided to start the company, I went literally to grass and clinicians and it was mostly chiropractors, some physical therapists and said, hey, and again, the only reason I, I, I did this was I, you know, the, the grass and people, I didn't just try and knock them off because I saw an opportunity. They really treated me not well at all a couple times, you know, and as I said, I would have been a big advocate for them, but after they just treated me pretty terribly. I decided, you know what, you know, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to make a better product and I'm going to treat our customers great. So I went to people that used their tools because no one really cares what I think when it comes down to it. It's the people that are using the instruments. Um, yeah, so I went to the people that were using the grass and instruments and said, Hey, what, what, what do you like? What don't you like? And they really, they liked the angles and the bevels of the grass and they just didn't like the, um, the fact that they were so slippery, you know, some of the restrictions with the contracts that you had to sign, things like that. So I went to an engineer and I just said, Hey, we, we need to make tools that have better grips. And so that's all I was focused on. And I didn't really pay attention to the bevels and the angles and things like that. So I always take them out to the different uh, clinicians. And they said, well, you know, we like the grips, but you know, it's really just like the back of a reflex hammer. And I couldn't understand why the Graston tools were so much better than, you know, some of the other knockoffs that had been out there. And mm -hmm. so what I did was I actually brought our engineer, his name's Mark Purcell, and, and he knows Mark Butler as well. And I brought him to Philadelphia and I put him in touch with some of these physical therapists and chiropractors that were using Graston. And he literally went tool by tool and explained you know, why these bevels were there and what they did and the angles and the sharpness or the, you know, in, ma in many ways, Dave Graston 20 years ago, he nailed it, in my opinion, with the certain yeah. bevels and the angles. What the Graston company did not do, you know, to our benefit is they never really evolved. They, you know, we're constantly evolving, coming out with new instruments, updating our tooling, our molds, things like that. And they kind of just stuck with, you know, the same technology that they had 20 years earlier. Now it's probably 25 years they've been on, you know, they've been in business. People complained about the slipperiness. They never improved it. So as far as the angles and the bevels and things like that, I think they did a great job. So in many ways, we just, we copied it. You know, I don't know what, what a better word for copy is, but we basically copied what worked for Graston. Because if it worked, why change it? You know, we just yeah. improved, added extra sizes, and again, made them much more ergonomic. And we just made the business working with our company. We just wanted to make it a lot easier than it was working, you know, obviously with uh, with our competitors. Uh, one more for you. Five years from now, what's your goal? How do you know if it's a goal worth the company pursuing? What we've done in the last couple of years is um, actually in probably the last year. Or so we, we hired a new director of international. So she's gotten us into about 15 or 20 countries. So what, what I would like to do again, if it works on tennis elbow or a bad back here, it's going to work on tennis elbow in Europe or Africa. One of the things, and, and just digressing a little bit, one of our instructors, Ken Johnson, who's the uh, director of outpatient rehab at Johns Hopkins. He was on a mission over in Africa and, um, you know, healthcare obviously is not, you know, the same as it is there. And he was actually working on some, uh, some people in a poor village and he took some pictures as to, you know, the, the, just the benefits, the pain relief some of these people had. So as much as I love the business part of it and, you know, yeah, we like to get into 50, 60 countries continually evolve. We just came out with a new product. It will be launching in about a month called Hawk Hydro. It's a water-based emollient. 
that works very similar to our oil-based emollient. But if you want to put electrodes or a kinesiology tape on afterwards, you don't have that frustration of, you know, you having to use soap awesome. or water or alcohol. We will continue to evolve, make you know, improve on our instruments, come out with other products, but I don't want to just come up with me two products. I, I, I see no excitement in that. Uh, there's already 50 kinesiology tapes. We're not going to make another tape. I will only make products that are better than anything else that's out there on the rehab market or something unique, which is kind of our new Hulk Hydro. So to be honest with you, I don't have a five-year plan. We're just going to continue to evolve, take really good care of our customers and whatever happens, happens. I don't know what you've done for China yet, but they already are using like Gua Sha is pretty much. Sure. I always called it like the kind of the instrument assisted mobilization. Every hospital has a acupuncture department where they can do massage. They can do the Gua Sha. They got every little, you know, every massage therapist has that as a, as a service. But I do know that I think China makes you keep a hefty chunk of cash in China to be able to do business legally. So something like that. Yeah, it's, no, you know, so we're talking to some distributors in Singapore and Hong Kong. Obviously, China yeah. is a is a huge market. So, you know, hey, maybe after the podcast, I'll put you in touch with our director of international and maybe we can see if you can help us uh, get into that market. Cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm all, I'm all about a win-win, Justin. You know that. So, uh, yeah. But I listen, I, I, I appreciate the questions. You know, it has been a labor of love. When I look back on kind of how it was an idea in my head and, and where we are now, uh, you know, it, it's great. But again, more so than you know, getting in all these countries, we've developed so many good relationships. Obviously, Mark now, who I, you know, I did not know who he was four years ago, is a great friend of mine now. So it's just amazing. We, you know, not only the Yankees and, and all the big names. It's fun to hang out with the Dodgers and their medical staff and things like that. But even just the, you know, the mom and pop physical therapist or the chiropractor, you know, we've just made so many good friendships over the years throughout, throughout the country. And probably that's, yeah, when I look back on things, that's probably what I'm most proud of is just the, the, the relationships that we've developed and the friendships we've developed over the last couple of years. Mark Butler, are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay. I've been using these tools, you know, different tools, and I helped this lady. She had a um, C-section scar, and she's like, every time I, I go through my period every month, it just hurts. You know, you just do a little scar work, boom, cleared it right up within maybe four or five visits, and just just the power of the tools. It's amazing to me. So, if you could give us the semi-short, but you know, the appropriate length, if you will, about some of the science that shows how does it work. Why does it work? What's the proof that it works uh, for the viewers? Well, as, as, as Frank mentioned, the, um, the science behind what we're doing is based on animal studies, physiology, knowledge of cell physiology. And the, the greatest, um, the starting point with this was we were thinking we were just changing and breaking down scar tissue. Right. And that, that's the earliest phase. We, we got a lot of mileage out of that because we really learned the healing process. And we learned how it's much more dynamic than just, just uh, changing connective tissue tension. It's, it's, it's a lot more dynamic than that. So when we think about pain and discomfort and movement dysfunction, my role and my, my area in, in rethinking this has been geared more toward how the neuromuscular interaction happens, what happens and how we have discomfort and pain, and can we change that quickly? And there's, um, if we fast forward to a really updated thought process, um, the term that we would use would be a term called mechanotransduction. Mm -hmm. It's where we actually create a, a cellular response when we stress or shear the cell in the, in the body. And 
all the, all the way from the mechanics of, of creating, um, turning on the, the nucleus to actually produce a different type of collagen for a long-term healing process and make that collagen more organized and, and more effective at creating a healing process to, on the other end of the spectrum, um, engaging the nervous system in its role in healing and pain control. And there's some fascinating studies uh, showing that the, the, the basic peptides of pain are actually mechanosensitive. Mm-hmm. They respond to stress and cheering. And we can change the, the concentration and the way that these peptides interact in the tissue. And we can actually up, up ramp or, or upgrade the healing response. And we can interrupt the, um, the nociceptive or pain signals or signals coming from the body that the brain perceives as painful. And we can, we can have an effect on that. So, in, so when we're doing a treatment on a... Oh, I'm sorry. I want to say uh, on that, they used to say, you know, when you get scar- sprained an ankle, it's going to heal. It's going to look like a bowl of spaghetti. But when you're doing these fascial tool instruments, it's going to lay it down more like mm-hmm. a plaid like a plaid shirt. So they're actually showing right. that that actually is actually occurring. It's not just a theory now. Yep. The the animal studies showing on an acute injury where um, if we don't treat that tissue or shear it, it definitely heals in a much more disorganized fashion. Creating a, a stress or shearing the tissue does create um, a better uh, substrate or mat of, of, of scar tissue that, that is actually functional. The analogy I give here and I use in my instruction is um, if you take a cotton ball, and, and all the cotton that's in the cotton ball. And you put that into a, a tensioning situation, the cotton ball would just pull apart. You take that same amount of cotton and you and you stress it and you, you comb it, you organize it so it becomes a thread and you get a whole bunch of those threads put together. And now you've got a rope. That rope could lift a car. So when we shear the tissue, that seems to be the case. We reorganize or realign the collagen fibers. We actually create uh, the fibroblast to we stimulate it to to put out a better quality of, of collagen fiber mm-hmm. and and that that definitely um, interacts the healing process to where we get a good solid repair but it still won't be as good as original yeah well it's not as good as the original it's just but better it, than the junk that would normally it's form. definitely much better than what you would have um and then when you add okay. you add also the um the nervous system's con- tr- contribution to pain and and the change the way that we move when we're in pain if we can take that away movement mm-hmm. normalizes so we have a, a normalization of movement, a normalization of the tissue healing response, and, and upgrade it, and we get a much more rapid return to function. Now, in Frank's in Frank's story, where he quickly gained motion when he was treated, that was a neuromuscular response. He didn't get an immediate reorganization of his mm-hmm. scar tissue, but he was locked down and not able to move because of pain. And that's the immediate first response we see with these using these these instruments is that the patients immediately start to normalize their moving if they're not moving well enough or the tissue's too tight it gets it to relax if the tissue is hyper facilitated it actually calms it down so we quickly bring tissue to a norm if it's hyper facilitated it becomes less hypo hyper facilitated if it's hypo facilitated or the patient can't find that muscle to turn it on they quickly regain the ability to find that muscle again. So it's pretty exciting. You know, we can take this in a static treatment or we can have the patient actually moving while we're treating them and actually accelerate their their movement and improve it right there in the clinic immediately upon treatment. When you're talking clinical, do you suggest to try to get them into that active? What Do, you, do y'all call it scraping in your technique? Um, like fanning you the... Know, the thing is, there's really no standardized terminology for what we're doing. I think that okay. all the all the courses and all the instructors that are working this in this 
um, area have some common terminology. We sweep, we fan, we brush, we stroke, we fillet. Yeah. When you're fanning, do you find that it's, even like I say in a cute car accident, sure. you, you got them x-rayed, there's no, you know, fractures or anything and they come in, in there and they're really stiff. Is it better to get them moving and, and fanning at the same time or do you need to start out kind of more lay there, that's relax? A, that's a great question. The analogy I would give you is, is think of, think of um, if you have a garden in the backyard and it sits all winter long, the, the soil is all compacted and, and rough and I want to get out early spring and start to get ready to plant some seeds. I'm not going to get out there with and, and, and bury the rake mm-hmm. as up to the bottom of the tines and try and rake through it because it's not going to move. So I'm going to start off gently, uh, maybe at, at skin level. And your skin is so rich in neural structures that I can bombard those neural structures, switch them all on, flood the brain with really, really good feedback. I can work down into the fascia layer just below the skin, get down into the, um, into the muscular tissue layer by layer, and then start to prepare the surface to get it working well. And then, and then when I want to get the patient moving, um, I can ask them to start moving. That even adds another layer of enhancement to the to outcome of treatment. So we usually start with a patient fairly static in a comfortable position. And then uh, once we've got that pain process interrupted, then we can start to get them moving and uh, we get much more better effects. So that's a very quick overview of the, of the thought process of how we, we treat the patients. And you talk about fanning. There's a, a so, such a variety of different strokes you can use to, to create this process. And that's where the whole education process comes in. We have we have a variety of courses that, that I've been um, at the ground level at, at designing and, and putting together that go all the way from an introductory level to gaining the motor skills to using the tools to actually um, dealing with some very mm-hmm. interesting tissue scenarios. Um, my area of expertise is, is really the nervous system and neuromobilization. And then I have colleagues that have expertise in, in the myofascia. We have colleagues that are experts in, you know, in dealing with neurological patients that have high tone and in pediatrics. And we're all working together to create a unique, basically, menu of courses that would satisfy any clinician's um, needs for clinical practice. So when you ask about how we do this, it's a mm-hmm. you're you're putting your toe into a little bit of a rabbit hole that you can go down a lot of different pathways here. So that's what we're doing. And that's that <laughs> makes us very unique. We're not just Absolutely. throwing a tool in somebody's hands and say, hey, scrape the tissue and, and and that's it. We're trying to take you from the start to whatever you really want. Matches Frank's vision of of creating a, a system that's really based on the client's needs, not on our thoughts only. And it's exciting to be working with a company mm-hmm. a company like this. See, I've done some kinesio taping from the official cast guy. And that's kind of what they did. It wasn't just here, here you put some tape on. It was actual practical application so that when you leave, you're not having to figure out, now what do I do with a shoulder injury again? It's like, no, I've got three protocols sure. that I can try. And then once I get familiar, I can learn with my clinical experience on how to alter these. And Let me better. build on that real quickly. Um, give you a little bit of background on how Frank and I ended up together. I actually ended up um, being asked by the grass and company to, to work with them on the education side while I was attending the course to learn instrument-assisted soft tissue work. Again, I found the experience of working with them not meeting my expectations. And I was also, I'm an educator on much many, many levels, so I'm, I'm not exclusively with anybody. And um, when Frank and I met, actually at a conference where I was teaching, um, I knew I was onto something big and different. So when we um, discussed the idea of putting together a course and using his tools, my idea of how to teach a course was not, here's a shoulder and here's how you rub it. It was, here's a problem, a clinical problem, and here's how you can solve it using tools. And that's how when we put together the course. Mm. When I have, I have a colleague, he's in Austin, Texas, his name is Andreas Mueller. He and I, when we designed the courses together, that was our primary starting point. 
this is going to be a problem-solving course, not a, a technique course. It's, it's how do you solve problems with these tools. And that, that made us unique right from the very beginning. And, um, and it's caught fire, as Frank mentioned. I think the course is going to be taught, what, probably 200 times this year somewhere? Yep. You know, uh, I've, I've been at the ground floor again of, of, of designing and, and, design, and putting these courses together. And it's, it's a very organic, very exciting process. I tried to look online, but my internet wouldn't um, okay. open that page very well. It was talking about doing the uh, the clinicians and being in, like an instructor. And is it kind of like a glass a grassroots type of process? Like you've been to some classes, you're certified, and now you're like, man, there's just nobody else teaching it in my area. But I know people could do it, and you just kind of sign up. Like, what's is that a process? How does that work? Well, we've been very fortunate in um, some very very well known and well respected educators in in complementary areas with the instrument work when they heard what we were doing here and through the connections of frank and and the individuals he's worked with and touch base with these people are approaching us and saying hey i'm really interested in what you're doing and then we end up talking together and through introductions and you know we bring them on in that process of we're all we're all kind of working together but we're not it's not lockstep protocol you have to do it a certain way we want mm-hmm. my firm belief in if you lock into a protocol that you have to do it a certain way, there's no room for growth. So everybody contributes to the process. And that's what so many doctors want too. like, don't make me think. Exactly. This is really it's kind of exciting, though, in that the people that want to think. Yeah, I like that. And we encourage it. And we encourage that with the people that come to us and want to work with us to teach. So we all work together. We want to make sure that the message is pretty consistent. But we allow you to to really grow it and add your expertise to, to the basic components of the course. That so is exciting. It's a very, very fun place to be when you are really into the, you know, the excitement of, of teaching something new and, and exciting and, and watch it grow with each time it's taught. Now, I'm a chiropractor, so I'm going to have to ask this. You're a doctor of physical therapy. Sure. You guys can go off on all sorts of tangents as far as what you want to specialize in. <laughs> um Obviously, but we're going to do uh-huh. spinal manipulation all day, whether it's an instrument, whether it's by hand. You guys are getting trained in it, sure. but you may not choose to like learn it very well because you're like, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. I'm going to just do other stuff. So if you don't like it, that's that's right. another question. But some of the neurology stuff you're talking about and what I've learned trying to with the spinal manipulation is it's very similar. You know, you're talking about the muscles yeah. and we're like, yeah, it's kind of the same way. But like in the facet joints, it's it's sharing things, sure. it's turning things on, turning things off. It's actually processing neurologically that like, that's more possibly what's actually happening is a neurological reset than really making a bone move. You know, exactly. And you actually just touched on an area where um, I, in my own path of, of trying to figure out how to help people get better. You know, just like you mentioned, the thought process, I'm moving a joint, I'm moving a tendon, I'm working on muscle. I'm the thing that connects it all together is the neurology of it. I just kept getting led back to this place over and over again. The neurological reset, the placebo effect, uh, you know, there's some fascinating studies where people with bilateral injuries get one side treated and both sides heal at the same rate. Um, We know that the only tissue that connects it all together is your brain and your nervous system. And we talk about the placebo effect and it's thought of as kind of this mysterious, you know, we really don't think much about it, but it's the most powerful healing process around. So if I can get your nervous system and your brain involved in the process, uh, you're going to get better. There's a lot of us out there that are, you know, like we're the we're the blindfolded experts with the elephant and we're all feeling the elephant. And we kind of get locked into our area of, hey, it's because of this. But I like to step back and look at the whole thing. And um, I, I embrace anybody who's out there trying to heal and, and their thoughts and, and their process. And, and 
And it's almost like if we get a grand unifying theory to put us all together, I think when we get to that, when we look at the very top of it, it's got to be the nervous system. And the way that, that you move and the way that your body interacts and the way that your tissue communicates um, to other tissue, etc. And that circles back to, the, again, having a, an instrument or a tool that makes me so much more efficient than my hands alone can be. Yeah. It's absolutely invaluable. It's game changing. It's pretty I exciting. I got a question. I, I can think of this patient that I have right now, and he's had a stroke several years. The guy's actually trying. Like, he's walking mm-hmm. with a cane. He's, he's coming in. He had back pain. We did some flexion distraction. We're adjusting. They're doing acupuncture, all this stuff. His back pain's better. And I'm trying to show him some ways to get better mobility in his arm. Otherwise, you're going to get frozen shoulder. You got to use it. And it's, you know, it's leg, sure. upper and bottom, upper and lower. But would an instrument, soft tissue manipulation, would that be something that could help stimulate more brain activity on the and help them improve quicker have y'all seen anything like that any case studies yeah there's actually one case study published um not too long ago it was actually from out of korea and it was one case study where they looked at an individual fairly younger a younger individual who ended up with a uh, um, some spasticity in his lower cor- lower limb um, he was in um, plantar flexion fixed kind of a spastic gastroxoleus complex so what they did is they went and they, they treated the um spastic mm-hmm. muscle and uh, with the instruments. And they showed immediately following that, the tone of the spastic muscle was inhibited significantly and the actual activity of the of the antagonistic muscle group, the, uh, the dorsiflexors, the anterior tibialis, et cetera, had a, a higher EMG activity. So what you have is you have, you're going back to that, that neurological response. We know that if one muscle's in spasm, the antagonist is actually mm-hmm. inhibited. So the cool thing that we're seeing, again, talking about that normalizing effect, the tools seem to normalize tissue. If it's hypertonic, it brings it to a lower level of activity. And then the antagonistic muscle groups actually now are no longer inhibited, and they can now turn on better. So in these in these case studies, and unfortunately, we don't have anything from this article that, that gives us the carryover mm-hmm. effect. This I, I would imagine it's something you're going to have to experiment with yeah. clinically. And we're seeing this. If we work with this, and we can take a patient immediately following, we improve their movement by a factor of 10 or 100 for a, 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 a brief period of time, maybe longer, maybe shorter, and we can create a point where we move the barrier to movement and let the patient move. We flood their brain with information of what it's like to move mm. normally. You start to rewire the whole system. You lay down new neurons. You do that over and over again. And now that patient that can't walk or move is starting to move and it, it, it creates a snowball effect. So this is exciting. These are the areas that we're working on with the tools that no one else has been working with um, a whole lot. I mean, people around the world are in little bits and pieces, but we're we're trying to bring it all together and integrate it yeah. and, and, and bring these into courses and yeah. teach people how to do this stuff. I know personally experience with, with MS, and I'm telling you, like, mm-hmm. the, the, the spasticity, they can actually move their leg better, they can walk better. Yeah. And depending on where they're at, you know, maybe it lasts a week or two and then they have to come back, but they're okay with that because their walking is more important than the fee that we have to charge and the inconvenience of coming in every week. But they're just like, yeah, the meds are starting to not work, but this is helping me. So I, if I can come here once a week, once every other week, I'm going to keep doing this until it stops working. And it does work. Yeah. But that's just me with a few patients that I know of. But no, Justin, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. And, you know, I've been I've been a physical therapist just, just so I have 30 years. I had my own practice. I the whole time, you know, I've, I've been successful on many levels. But the thing that really makes me get up in the morning is the fact that I can change people's lives. I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell you how much I earned last year because I don't think about that. I think about it's it's changing people's lives. And and um, if I change it for an hour or if I change it for three days, it's still tremendously rewarding. So, you know, what you're mentioning with your MS patients, things like that, these people, they are craving someone that can make a difference in their lives. And it's, it's very rewarding to, to have that opportunity. And 
to have something that makes my job much more effective, mm-hmm. I, I can't put a pri- I can't put a, a value on that. I'd, I'd spend thousands of dollars in order to make a difference, and that's what it's all about. What would you say? To this we get a lot of clients. It seems like lately they fell off their scooter, they got hit, they you know whatever, and they're getting um, plates in their legs for you know different surgeries. You, the, Frank, you probably had the same situation with your uh, with your whiplash uh, injuries uh, or your snow uh, skiing injury. Sorry. Do you find that working maybe after it's healed, you know, officially everything's healed, ready to go, that it helps them improve if they can't get to like really good physical therapists and get the motion? Because that's what I'm finding here is they're not getting that hardcore. We're going to make you, you're going to cry a little bit, but either cry now or you're not going to walk in 10 years or you're going to have this this limp you got now. It's only going to get worse. Do you guys find the instrument uh, mobilization gets them to that next level of, of movement and, and quicker if maybe that's the only option that they have? Like, would that be something worthwhile? Well, that the population you're talking about with those, those tough orthopedic injuries where they've either been left for a while to really hard, develop hard movement dysfunctions that are not getting better or you're, you're, you're banging your head against the wall trying to get them to move better in the clinic. When we when we first started using the, the tools on or the instruments on those types of patients, the results were so <laughs> so dramatic and with a lot less discomfort um, than you would expect if done if done in a way that that's appropriate and and, and well it, it's game it, it's been game changing. We we take patients that we were not able to progress or get them moving. Uh, the first case that comes to mind in, in my experience, I had a, a a young entrepreneur himself. He had um, had a, a severe jet ski accident out of the country. While they were trying to keep him alive, they basically just threw him in a bed. He had a tremendous, terrible injury to his, his knee, blew a, the upper quarter of his patella away, basically. They sewed him up. His knee was left straight for three months. Then he finally made it home. He shows up in my clinic. He can only bend his knees about 25 degrees, his one knee. After about a work, week of treatment, he was bending up to 100. He, he got to 127 degrees of knee flexion in a week worth of work with us. That would have taken me in the past months and months and months. This guy was so excited, he pulled out a video camera and videotaped me. What? Um, treating him he was he was blown away by it so we saw this happening over and over and over again and and, um unfortunately now i was talking to frank beforehand before we got on i'm so used to this now i expect it when i first started to see it it was it was game changing now i just like if it doesn't happen i'm surprised you know that's my new norm i expect quick recovering and quick results and i'm getting them and um you know, people are coming to find us because we're getting these results. Word of mouth has been very, very, um, you know, uh, very, very intense on this area. I, I got a question then, because I think we do the same thing. We, you get patients better. You expect it. You get that one or two people out of, you know, 50 that don't get better. And you're like beating your head against the wall. You feel bad about yourself. And you start to almost lose value, the value that you actually have in yourself and why you're they're coming to see you. What I don't know if you can answer this question legally, but the the cost, you know, what kind of prices are we allowed to charge for a service like this? Is a hundred dollars a visit kind of crazy? Is thirty too cheap? I mean, what's a what's a ballpark range? Well, that, it's a um, compensation wise. Being a business as well, I know I know how much it costs for me to render a treatment, mm-hmm. and also when it comes to um, third party payers or, or or payers that are that are eventually sending us a check for what we do, so. <clears throat> When all the mathematics and, and all the discounts and all the different things come to be, we 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 probably get a few dollars more reimbursement than what it actually costs us to render care. Um, and that rendering care is keeping the lights mm-hmm. on, paying my staff, paying myself, you know, money going to mm-hmm. the people that, that employ me. When that's all said and done, you know, about $8 goes upstream. So that, you know, without going into the actual dollar amounts, what 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 happens? So when people okay. walk in and they 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 get treated and they get that that bill, um, there can be some sticker shock. But um, 
It's not it's not cheap to render care. You better believe it. It is a chargeable procedure. It's not like you have to Well this this actual procedure we bill we bill different things. We can bill we can bill manual therapy, which has a, a fee schedule which is universally applied mm-hmm. around the, around the country in the United yep. States. Um, and this is and the other fee we bill is neuromuscular rehab. If we're doing the treatment with or during movement or to enhance movement, we can bill that. It's a little bit of a, a better charge than manual therapy alone, but there's more skill mm-hmm. involved with that. So those are the two main um, charges that are rendered here. When everybody knows what you get reimbursed for that, yeah. so you just throw yeah. the price right yeah. there. <laughs> we all know what we get reimbursed exactly. when we get that check in the mail. Exactly. We're we itemizing it. We know <laughs> what we're getting now. Okay. Hopefully Very that- good. I mean, because tools aren't cheap, you know, they're a solid price. But you got to look at your return on investment. You know, yeah. everybody's been in business for something. That, that the most expensive piece of equipment is the one that's in the closet because you just don't know how to use it and don't want to use it. Or the reimbursement went out the window, and you're like, "I'm not doing this for two dollars." Right. You know. Right. Well, you um, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's there's a lot of pieces of equipment that end up in, in facilities that, that they might be the hottest and neatest thing, but you realize it's just not efficient and you don't get the results that you want. People will continue to pick up and use what gives results. We do a lot of test, treat, retest. So we immediately get feedback if we're making a change. And we never got that with an ultrasound machine or a, uh, you know, something like that. We, we did this with a tool, with the instruments, immediate results. So for about yeah. the same price of a, a really nice um, ultrasound machine or something like that, you can have a whole set of tools. And patients are being referred to my office because I have these instruments in my clinic, not because I have XYZ ultrasound machine or Easton machine. Boy, the return on, on, on investment is phenomenal. And then on the other end, the cost. Having been involved directly with Frank in some of the, de- the, the design of these tools and, and knowing what it goes through to produce one tool, mm-hmm. uh, multiple prototypes, high cost levels. Um, each of these tools are, are hand-finished. They're not just a forged stamp piece of metal that, that are mass-produced. Everyone is touched many, many times by, by very skilled hands. So by the time this tool gets into your clinic, you're dealing with a very, very highly designed, highly polished, treated piece of equipment that, yeah, definitely. It, it's um, it, it, So there's a lot of cost involved in them. So yeah. again... Oh, not knocking the price. Just, they're worth the money. And oh, you, well, you get what you pay for. Yeah. You really do. There's some... And like you said, start with one if you need to. If you can only afford one, you can buy one that's the most effective. And There's some infinite number of tools on the market, but you truly get what you pay for. And, and I have to let people know that. You bet. Well, um, two questions on that. Well, if sure. somebody could only buy one tool, which one do you think, wh- which ones should they buy? When Frank and I started work together, the first thing that I did when I saw him is I said, well, you need this, this, and this <laughs> under the tools. I, I wasn't shy about giving him information. And we had a very early meeting with, with Frank, myself, and a couple of clinicians and, and uh, the guy who makes the tools. And I said, I said to Frank, you know what? People want a tool that kind of does everything. And I'm sure Frank had been thinking about this as well. This is actually one of our prototypes. Oh, my gosh. Tool. This is number 14. <laughs> and this was actually, I drew this on the back of a, like a napkin. We were out to dinner or something yeah. like it. And we, we kept working with yeah. it. Well, this actually is, it's four tools in one. I can use that on so many body parts. Every single edge of it. I have We have this in metal. I don't have that here at my in front of the computer right now. But this is the 14th prototype in plastic that we use in my clinic for many, many, many months. Um, almost a, a year worth of, of different tools. Yeah. That if you if you could only afford one tool, I would get that. And then what's it called? The, it's called the HG Pro. 
And also, I would probably, on my next uh, uh, wish list, I would add a handlebars to it. So we can take something like that. And as Frank mentioned, that could be in the back pocket of an athletic trainer. I walk around with this tool in my back pocket all day long. And I'm using many tools, but there's I have I have five clinicians in my clinic. And we're all fighting over these tools. And ironically, we have a set of Graston tools. They sit, they sit and get dust on them. We have a set of Sastim tools. They sit and get dust on them. Everybody fights for the hot grips because they feel the best in your hand. How do you clean them? Any hard surface cleaner, disinfectant, um, anything from alcohol okay. to what we do is we to soap and water we can use. We don't like yeah. to leave a, a chemical cleaning solution on the tool because that can irritate the skin. So if we disinfect them with that, mm. we'll follow up with maybe a hand sanitizer, um, ethyl alcohol, and wipe them down with that. So you don't have to uh, sanitize them like a... We're not breaking the skin. Like a tattoo machine or something. No, we're not breaking the skin. We're not, we're not drawing blood anywhere. We've done thousands and thousands of treatments with these tools. We've never yet had any patient report any adverse reaction. So hard surface cleaner. Maybe some bruising. Followed by something to get that um, chemical off if you want. We typically just spray them down with a an, an ethyl alcohol solution, let them sit for about 20, 30 seconds, buff them off with that, and do maybe that once or twice, and then we, they're ready to go. They don't harbor any bacteria. Um, if it cleans my hands... You know, whatever cleans my hands is going to do a much better job on the tools because there's there's no there's no places for the bacteria to really collect. Okay. It's a non-issue. Do you remember that machine, the ATM machine? ATM. It's like a big black square, and they strap you down, or they strap you against it, and you're standing, and you might do range of motion with some massive resistance because you're strapped. I've seen that. You bet. Uh, yeah, different versions of that. Yeah. So if someone has like in the in the process, then maybe they're a new they're a new graduate. They're excited. They got some money to yeah. spend. They know they need some fancy stuff. Would you recommend the ATM or would you recommend you know, no. that type of strap down Not at all. range of motion resistance or would you recommend tools? I'd recommend tools. You know, we've if you walk into more progressive physical therapy clinics, you're probably going to see less machines because more and more we're using we're using our hands. We're using the normal process the body learns to move, which is the developmental sequence, you know, from mm. um, exercises that are body weight generated. And, and resistance, we can be a, we we can generate resistance anyway from as simple as an elastic rubber band. To you don't need all the fancy equipment, and we're learning that patients they can't take that with them when they leave your clinic. So the programs are very integrative to where we get the patient in, we warm them up, we warm them up, we get them started with a an active movement process, not a passive modality, and then we we do a soft tissue technique to remove any inhibition to motion that we can. Then we give the patient a, a movement based exercise program that is very low tech and then we create a a home assignment that reinforces that and they take that home with them so it's it's movement right from the start to the finish without any fancy equipment needed um, and the tools fit beautifully in that process um, to make that happen can massage therapists uh, use this if they're trained or like what what kind of the, what kind of uh, initials do you have to have to be able to use this like can you just train like hire a massage therapists and train them to use it and then that way you don't even have to do it here's or like <laughs> how's that work here's the fallacy of of um, certification there is no accrediting body that recognizes certification in using these tools anywhere okay. so certification is basically is is basically passed out by the um, the facility that's rendering or giving the, the, the instruction. And then that's used mm. for you to say, hey, I've been trained. So it's a signal to your referral sources or your patients that you have some additional training. So consistency. Exactly. That being said, it's up to the training facilities or the, the individuals doing the training to limit who they will train in using these, these tools or instruments. I'm mm. a firm believer that I don't have all the answers and my initials after my name don't, don't make me any better than anybody else. Um, so if you're interested in doing this 
and you have a client base that could benefit from it, and you have the, the skill sets to gain the, the, the knowledge and the motor skills to make this effective, then God bless you. Go out and, and go for it. If you end up creating injury or injure somebody in it, then, uh, you know, then that, that's where the danger exists. So Hope you got some malpractice insurance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, um, fortunately we haven't, um, we haven't run into a group of, of soft tissue worker, body work clinicians that, that wouldn't benefit from this. So, and again, right. that's what, that's what sets us aside with our philosophy with hot grips is, is we kind of are a very open arms policy. If, if you're going to, if you're going to do some work and help people out and we can teach you how to do it a little bit better, we're willing to teach you. And that, that's where we come in. So athletic trainers, massage therapists, bodywork specialists, um, physical therapists, chiropractors, osteopathic physicians, um, alternative medicine individuals. Very good. Uh, before you, you guys saw the questions, I, I would like, if you have a few minutes, ask some of these little, little more personal, just to kind of end it on a more personal note. But sure. do, you, do either one of you have any uh, kind of closing remarks about the science behind it or the, the business side behind it before we kind of switch gears and kind of start wrapping this up? Again, to wrap it all up, I think that um, this started with the idea of trying to break down scar tissue and we're moving away from that thought press. It's more of a reorganization and involving the nervous system. So we don't have to be as aggressive and as brutal with the treatment. We can be a lot more gentle. And that's that's been a huge change. You know, so the science is moving us in that direction, definitely. Uh, that matches, again, my philosophies from how I render care with my patients. Um, so that, that's, I would just emphasize that point from the people that are getting into this. You don't have to really beat the crap out of someone or, or, or bruise the heck out of their tissue to, to make this happen. There are philosophies and ideas to get to the depth of the tissue. You might have to break some blood vessels to get to that depth, but you don't have to be as aggressive as, as we once thought. That's really cool. I really like your philosophy. That's kind of how I view what I do in all areas. So it's good to see that you guys are actually lining up with, uh, well, not lining up with Justin's viewpoint, but kind of what I think the science is pointing towards and you guys are Definitely. falling right on track with that Definitely. nervous system reorganization. So that's awesome. Okay. So vacation, you guys both are workers. You got a business owner, you've got a guy who probably does seminars on the weekend and he works full time. How do you take vacation? How do you, if you don't, how do you, and if you don't, how do you get take more? You know, I, I, this is Frank here. I, I travel so much for my job. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of those things. My, my mom says I need to have a little bit more of a balance in life, but the, uh, the issue and the, the, the thing I tell her is I, I, thoroughly enjoy what I'm doing. So, you know, I'm kind of working all the time. It's it's hard not to be because there's so there's so many things going on that we have to be on top of. But in the in the past 12 months, last, you know, I was in I was in Singapore, I was in London. I was supposed to go to Dubai a couple of weeks ago, but I had something else came up. So, I've been able to travel the world as well as I think I've probably been in maybe 40 45 of the the states in the last couple of years. So, traveling wow. it, it can get a little bit uh tiresome, you know, here and there, but again, it's um when I look back and if, if you're really complaining that you're almost traveling too much, you know, there's a lot of other other issues out there in the world. So, you know, I, I have had uh, I was in the uh, the Bahamas a, a few months ago, maybe a year ago. And uh, so I do travel a lot and, and I do try and, and have some fun, you know, as well with, you know, with the work part of the travel. This is um, Mark here on this. I think if you look at balance, you have to borrow and and you have to take from certain aspects of life to kind of move yourself ahead in one area. And then you've got to realize, okay, now I've got to catch up and 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 focus on the, the interpersonal side of life. I'm in a different place in life than Frank is. I'm, you know, I have a, a my my youngest daughter is getting ready to go away to physical therapy school, and and my wife and I are looking at being empty nesters, eh, probably in a, a little time. You know, my wife has sacrificed a tremendous amount to. Um, support me in, in my endeavors and in, in the traveling. I, you know, I'll, I'll be gone probably on the average 20 weekends a year teaching something somewhere. 
And then when I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm writing new courses and, and I'm getting ready to, I'm, I'm getting ready to submit, um, uh, for publication and, and presenting. And so I'm always, and then, then I'm also in the clinic 50 plus hours a week. So it can get pretty crazy. So you got to have a point at which you say, I've got to disconnect, I've got to go away, and I've got to focus on the other stuff to keep it all working. And it is truly a matter of juggling and, and learning how to turn off, not take work with you, turn off your cell phone, don't look in the emails, which can drive my colleagues a bit crazy. But it, it's a matter of balance. You know, you're you're catching up, constantly catching up because I, I think I have a form of ADD where I can't, I can't just, uh, I'm working 20 different directions at the same time. And that's what makes me happy. And and part of that is taking care of my family and, and making sure that, that I'm, I'm doing my best to make sure they don't get um, left in the, in the, in the, in the backwash of, of me doing all these other things. I do have a question. I've always thought it'd be kind of cool to teach. Uh, I got a couple of tech techniques that I really like and would, I would, I think I could teach it, you know, tell me what to say. I can do it and uh, be passionate about it and everything. But when you do talk about like, you got to work five days a week or four days a week, whatever, then you got to work on the weekends and you're doing that for, like you said, 20 weeks, potentially it could be 20 out of 35 weeks. You could be on the road. How do you, how do you stay focused and not have your clinic go down and then not have your wife kill you because you're literally always gone except for two hours a night. Any any topics on that? Any hints for other people that are doing that kind of thing? I mean, it seems like it'd be so difficult. Do you just take more time off of work? You just work less week? No. The, the week after? I, you have to truly have a sense when you are when you are losing focus in one area as you focus on another area. There is, if anybody that is has access to what we're talking about now or to sit and watch what I'm saying. I'm sure they've all been a victim of of my own schedule when my schedule has bled into affecting their lives. And if you are watching that, I apologize right now because I know that that happens. But I think when people are around someone that is this passionate about what they're doing, um, they recognize that they're going to have to pick up the slack for that person. And I have a lot mm-hmm. of people that truly do that for me. If I didn't have that, there's no way I could do what I do. And I'm sure Frank can talk to this as well. If you surround yourself with people that share your vision, they're going to help you achieve that vision. And if you don't have that, there's no way, absolutely no way you can succeed in doing all those things and be all over the place. And, you know, they're going to have their time for you to focus your attention toward them. And then when you, when they, when that time mm-hmm. comes, you focus your attention on them and do your best to help them out. And they'll turn around and help you out. So it's all about your support system. There's absolutely no way I could achieve and do what I do without an army of people there to back me up and help me out. Very good. Uh, real quick question. Both of you are married? I, I'm single. This is this is Frank. Uh, Mark, Mark, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Question's still, this still fine. Spouses, significant others, when you're trying to keep the love alive in different relationships, what, what's, a, what's a piece of advice that you can give all of us uh, so we don't end up getting divorced the... Uh, well, making all this money into success. <laughs> well, this is Frank who's single. So uh, Mark's probably better at answering that one than I am. <laughs> um, how, do, how do you do that? Um, I'm a pretty passionate guy, you know, so I can, I can, uh, you know, well, first, first and foremost is I, you know, I married my best friend um, and I've been married now 32 years. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um I, I met my wife. I was her ski instructor out west. You know, it was one of those things where as soon as I met her, I knew that, and it was kind of scary because I wasn't ready to settle down and get married. And, and I realized I'd met the person that was going to happen with. You've got to, first of all, keep them in your life as far as what you're doing and don't don't live a separate life. Because my wife has, you know, her background is finance and accounting. So she's the one that makes sure that 
the bills are paid and I don't end up giving the whole thing away to somebody else, you know. Mm -hmm. And she raised the kids and and, and our daughters and and she supports us. So she, her role is so important, but she's not on the the front lines like I am. And I, I let her know that on a constant basis, that this isn't Mark out there doing all this. It's both of us as a team working together. So there's that foundation of we're, we're equals. Then the next level is um, you've got to get away and you've got to laugh and you've got to make that person laugh and, and have fun together. Then when you have the chance to, to really be alone and, and, and show them how much you care for them, you, you know, you got to keep the passion alive. You got to do little things and you got to make sure that that's, that's always a part and you can't let it go too long because it can, it can, you know, it's like a, it's like a living, um, living process. And if you don't tend it, it, it will wither and die. Those things have to be constantly, and it's got to come natural. You can't make it feel like it's being forced because it shouldn't be. But it all starts with finding the right person. I think if you don't have that process, there's, it's just not going to work. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that that happened. Yeah, great ideas. Uh, last two questions. Everybody, you listen to other podcasts, you listen to like Tim Ferriss and all these, they, they're always like, I do all this kind of stuff in the morning, I'm very regimented. Do you guys have like a morning or a lunch routine that excites you for the rest of the day or keeps you focused? Well, I'm, I'll talk really quickly. What I do is, is um, I'm blessed with pretty good genetics from my parents. So I can do periods where I'm very involved in, in, in exercising, working out, keep my mind sharp. But unfortunately, with all the projects I've got going on, oftentimes that is the time when I only have to sit in front of my computer and do some writing. So I'm one of those guys that, that will, yeah. um, you know, I keep a close, very close eye on just my general overall health. But what gets me up and gets me going and, and the routine is what the day has in store for me more than anything and what I have to take care of. And if I have a little extra time, yes, I will grab time to take care of stretching, exercise, and all those things. I can honestly say I don't have a regimented routine other than making sure I get to bed before one in the morning. And I'm getting up usually before six in the morning to get work done. So I, I'm fortunate I can exist on very little sleep. I can honestly say I don't have a strict regimented routine to, to make it all work. That's yeah. okay with me. So I don't know what Frank is. I'm going to hand him the mic and let him tell you. What all right. Means. What about Frank? You got anything? Uh, uh, kind of like Mark said, I don't have a, uh, a you know a strict routine. Kind of like Mark as well. I'm probably you know undiagnosed, very ADD. I, I am an early riser. I do like to go to the gym in the morning. But what I've also found, maybe over the last couple couple months, now that um, I do have a good. I do have a good staff and I'm really just kind of there to, you know, influence the culture and the direction and, and, you know, continue with the relationships with our customers. One of the nice things, because I do have some probably more free time during the day uh, than a lot of people do. I, you know, if I want to leave for two hours, I can, I can, I can do it. So what I've found and, and most of my friends from whether it's grade school, high school or college, you know, most of them are uh, married now with children and, you know, they're spending pretty much all their time at, at, you know, either working or at their kids' games or things like that. So what I've been doing is uh, reaching out to, um, you know, again, a lot of my, my buddies who I don't get to see that often. And we'll just have like a nice long lunch, an hour and a half lunch. And really, it's just nice to I'm, I'm always working on different entrepreneurial ventures. I have a couple other things going besides Hawk Grips, but it's just a nice chance during the week to really catch up with old friends or family or things like that. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've really been making um, a point whenever whenever I see a friend or I'm talking to a friend randomly on email or text to say, hey, why don't we why don't we get together for lunch? Yeah, pleasantly. It's it's been it's a nice breakup of the day, and it's just nice to you know even if I only do it once a year with some of these some of these guys or girls, um, you know it, it's been something nice that I wish maybe I had done a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I completely agree with you. You don't have friends unless you actually put out effort out there to 
hang out with them. And a lunch is a great time to do that. So very cool. Last question. Do you have any favorite books that you secretly love or just, just have to share with people that just changed your life? I, I read a lot, a ton. I'm, con- I'm constantly reading, whether it's on my my phone. I'm always reading a novel. Some of the easy guys, the easy people to read, you know, obviously James Patterson is easy. Lee Child, he does the Jack Reacher series. I'm reading those guys all the time. Brad Thor, mm. kind of like, you know, authors in the, in the mix of like a, a Tom Clancy. I used to read all his books when he was alive. There's a guy named W.E.B. Griffith. Um, he's got some series on the Marine Corps, but what I like is he actually has a whole series. Uh, the detective is actually a Philadelphia police department, sorry, a police detective. So it's kind of neat to read stories where, you know, they're talking about certain roads that you're on or certain hotels that, you know, you're very familiar with. So that's in the fiction. I'm always reading any articles I can think of on business, on entrepreneur type of things as well. So, you know, my mind is always going and when it's not going, I'm reading somewhere. Even if I'm watching the Phillies game or if I'm watching something on TV, I probably have a book next to me or an article as well. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. And again, maybe it's the entrepreneur in me. Um, I was a, I was a terrible student. You know, when the teacher would tell me to read something, I wouldn't. But I would go to the library every night and I would read, you know, whether it was real estate I was in, into at a certain time or whatnot. So I love to read. I love to learn. But I kind of like to read and learn what I'm interested in. If someone else tells me to do it, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I have a very similar type of a, of a process. From the, On the scientific side, I, I read one to two journal articles a day. And I have, I'll sit in front of the computer and I'll, and I'll be collecting information about something I'm working on or writing on. And, and it, it's one of those things that one article lead to the next and I'll find myself totally off topic and reading a paper that has nothing to do with anything I do at all, just because it's absolutely fascinating to me to do that. On the recreational end of reading, if I am going to pick up a book and read it, it's one I want to get lost in that creates feelings or emotion, anywhere from happiness to a very poignant um, story. There's a few books that, that had that effect on me over the past three or four years that I, I would say I would definitely think back on as, as high points to recreational just epics. I'm reading right now the um, Century series by Ken Follett. It's a story of before World War One, all the way through to the present time and, and what was going on. Um, and it's historical based, but it's, it's um, fiction. So it's fascinating that I'm getting it. And then I'll read the actual historical true books, what was going on during that time, and I can link them together so I get a better understanding of my past. The, the thing that's really changed my life most recently is, is um, my father recently passed away. He's, he passed away in 96. He fought in, in World War II right at the end. He was actually on Okinawa where um, the, the battles and the fighting there was largely overshadowed because it was right before the, the, um, the end of the war where the, the atomic bombs were deployed. And he would never talk about his experiences. My uh, One of my sisters went back and did research and found out that he was actually in the teeth of the fighting. And the recent um, movie out, Hacksaw Ridge, where my dad was actually in that battle. So um, I read about it. I studied about it, went and saw the movie, and I never realized what my dad was dealing with. And that that was life-changing um, for me to, to realize, you know, the, all these people that sacrificed, you hear about it, and I didn't even know that, uh, you know, how close that person was in my own life, my father. So again, I love to feel alive. I love to feel. I like to be engaged. I love to learn. And um, I'll be reading three or four books at the same time just to feed that that thirst and that hunger while I'm writing and studying and, and other things as well. So that gives you a, a brief insight into my, my how my brain works when it comes to wanting to be fed. 
<laughs> I'd say we're like three peas in a pod because I'm kind of yep. the same way. If I don't have a book by my side while I'm watching TV or doing anything, I'm just like, right, same ah, way. where's the book? Same way, definitely. <laughs> the commercial's on. So, I want to read. <laughs> well, how can people contact you guys? They Feel free to reach out to me directly. Uh, you know, I my email that I use um, that is separate from, you know, all the other emails to communicate on a professional level would be the number four and then ptman, ptman at gmail.com. Um, it's an easy one to remember. Um, the number four because there's four people in my family. And then uh, PT is I'm passionate about being a physical therapist. So 4ptman at gmail.com. I'd be happy to hear from anybody and be happy to get back to you. And here's for Frank. Absolutely. Be in the show notes for sure. My email is oz, O-Z, at hawkgrips, one word, H-A-W-K-G-R-I-P-S dot com oz at hawkrips.com and that's my nickname i've been oz or ozzy since uh since i can remember because the last name is osborne short and sweet so uh that you know feel free any anyone listening in to email me anytime he is the wizard of oz there's no doubt about that <laughs> all right very good so hawkgrips.com yeah and doc just before we go I, I this is the first podcast i have ever done it's pretty neat you know my sister has a podcast and you know i i, I come across a lot of fascinating people in my career and, and in life so you know it's something especially now that that i've had a chance to do this with you it's something i i may actually uh, look at pursuing as well and maybe have you on as a guest for mine at least speaking for myself i wanted to uh to thank you you know for for having us on there and letting us you know tell a little bit about ourselves and our stories as well. And, you know, obviously I'd like to stay in, in more touch with you, you know, now that you're over in China and there's just a lot, I'm sure I could learn from you as well. So, you know, thanks for having me on today. Oh, absolutely. And, and any questions you have, just, just ask us. No, I, I want to echo Frank in that. I've, um, if, if someone had told me when I started as a physical therapist that I'd be talking to a guy in China through the internet, I would have said, uh, no way, you know, so this has been actually really cool. This has been a tremendous experience. You know, if there's ever a chance where we get a chance to cross paths or work together in the future, on a professional level, it's nice to have a colleague, someone like yourself that is uh, passionate about information and share that information. Anything I can do to help you in the future, uh, you know, reach out to me at any time. Uh, it'd be it'd be a pleasure. It, you've been this has been a tremendous experience. We have to thank you on that. All right. Oh man, y'all are making me blush over here. I really appreciate you guys' time as well. And uh, <laughs> part of my job here is I think it's to, to build relationships and, and bridge different professions together. You know, we got a wide audience, so I really do hope that we can continue to be in touch and help each other out as much as possible. So I'm I'm down to help you guys, however y'all y'all need help as well. So I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. And I'm yeah, this has been a great experience. Thank you. All right. Isn't it interesting? Some of the most profitable gigantic corporations and businesses out there came about because they solved their own problem. Oz had a problem, something worked, and he figured out how to make it better, right? And then on the way, he's been learning how to do more hiring, more growth, expansion, you know, to worldwide distribution. And then Dr. Butler, you know, he's, like we said, very much in the same vein, you know, it's all about normalizing tissue, stimulating mechanoreceptors, it's a nervous system response, uh, all those types of things. So I really appreciated both of their times. Um, I hope you guys, as always, take what they said, think about it, maybe take a course. But as promised, they have a special discount code for you guys. PODCAST15, all capitals, PODCAST15 to get 15% off all orders, okay? Take them up on the offer. Go to their website, hawkgrips.com. Maybe just get the... Uh, the basic tool, maybe get a package. Either way, podcast 15, 15% off all orders. The word is spelled out in all caps. Travel tips coming up next. They're ready. 
paperback Kindle. Versions are available on Amazon. As always, you can also snag a free copy if you'd like a doctorsperspective.net slash free ebook. Today's choices, tomorrow's health, small steps to improve health, food choices, and exercise. Learn how to go from a couch potato or a weekend warrior and have simple steps kind of personalized just for you. Three different blueprints for exercise, how to cut some carbs without hurting yourself, a couple of changes in what and how you eat so that there's not a lot of extra willpower and self-control necessary to reduce how much you eat. 12 exercises, a 10 minute cardio that's better than 30 minutes, three minute stretching concept that won't make you roll your eyes in boredom, an ab routine you won't quit, exclusive Facebook support group, yes, and an entire section about a nervous system reboot discusses chiropractic subluxations and things like that. Look, if you want it, again, a doctorsperspective.net slash free ebook. It has a, a video explaining what it is, a little PowerPoint presentation in there, and put your name, put your email, and then you can make your choice. If you want to support the show, we have merchandise. We've got upper cervical chiropractic t-shirts. We've got podcast logo t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, as well as a generous buy the host of coffee PayPal button if you want to. No pressure. If you want to follow me on social media, the easiest way to find me is to go to a doctorsperspective.net. Look on the top right. It's kind of like a gray color. There's all the little social media icons. If you need to email me, I would love to hear your comments, critiques, etc. Justin at a doctorsperspective.net. Connect, comment, and I'll reply back. And if you can, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. Go to the site. Give us a review. Hopefully a five-star review, but let us know what you think. It'll help us with all the rankings and we appreciate it. And if you happen to get any merchandise, definitely take a picture, post it on social media, hashtag behind the curtain, or you can do at whatever my tag is and I'll definitely give you a thumbs up. Today's travel tip is using cam scanner. This is a great thing that saved me a lot of times. I can get a picture taken of an important document, upload it to the app, which also you know is in the cloud. Then I can just print it, maybe sign a document, take another picture of it, and it makes it very high resolution. You can email it as a picture, you can email it as a PDF, back to the person, they print that off, and then you're good to go. I mean, I got important documents backed up, uh, you can do receipts, there's so many things you can do with it. It definitely comes, for me, it comes in handy when I need something that looks like an original. This program really comes in handy when you need to fax something, but you can't fax, you don't have anything there and you need an original signature. It's a lifesaver and it saves it password protected. It's really great. There's a lot more options I haven't even talked about, but uh, probably worth your while, especially if you're going to be traveling and you uh, need to get some things done business-wise. We just went hashtag behind the curtain, and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.